TED Audio Collective. Sometimes I hear my husband say, like, you know, Catherine used to work all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. I really, it was just around the clock. And that's 100% right. I mean, I was able to devote my life to it. Catherine Zaleski was employee number six at the Huffington Post. She was in charge of the homepage. She worked her butt off. God, it was ridiculous. It was it was like seven thirty till eight thirty usually every day on the weekends. I got this thing called a BlackBerry <laughs> in two thousand and six, which I remember my mother in law just being like, "Oh my God, are you going to now be checking that at dinner?" And I was like, mm. Catherine had stock options, no kids. Pretty quickly, she became a hotshot media exec at a young age in part because she could work around the clock. There was a race at that time. It was a land grab for who could build the biggest and fastest media company online. After five years at HuffPo, she went to the Washington Post to build their digital operations. After that, she helped start another media company called Now This. And then she got pregnant, had a baby girl named Charlotte. Working around the clock was suddenly over. Not only that, but the way her colleagues treated her, that changed immediately, too. It was like, oh, she's just gone from, like, being an executive to just, like, a baby maker, like, overnight. Like, brain shut down. I was totally cut out of every conversation, even though I had been part of the team running this company. Catherine was kind of astounded. And very quickly, she ended up deciding to leave to start her own company, a company to help women find jobs where they wouldn't be penalized for baby-making or caretaking. She announced her defection from media with an op-ed in Fortune magazine. So the title was, I'm sorry to all the mothers I used to work with. Catherine was sorry. She was sorry for scheduling meetings at 4.30 p.m. because it didn't occur to her that a woman she worked with was desperately trying to get out of the office by 5 p.m. to go pick up their kid from daycare. Catherine was sorry for secretly rolling her eyes at another female colleague who couldn't make it to last-minute drinks with the team because she couldn't find a sitter. Catherine was sorry for not speaking up for another mother in a job interview a woman who was incredibly qualified, but who needed flexible hours. That last mother, the one who couldn't work 12-hour shifts in a newsroom, with nearly 20 years of experience in journalism, but also with a baby and a toddler at home, that mother was me. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is ZigZag, the podcast about the changing culture of business and work. And since I first met Catherine Zaleski about seven years ago, a lot has happened in this world. The Me Too movement, for one. Number two, there's definitely a bigger conversation about the fact that globally, women earn about 20% less than men for doing the same jobs. Oh, and the third thing, Research that shows having women work at your company will actually make you more money. Catherine Zaleski and her co-founder of Power to Fly are making a living helping companies find those women. Women who, as you'll hear on this episode, are often reluctant to change jobs for some very surprising reasons. 
and I'll also fill you in on whether I got offered that job that Catherine was interviewing me for, too. It's all coming up after a quick break. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. We're back. It's ZigZag. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. And in your messages to us, dear listeners, many of you have mentioned your caretaking duties. I'm a stay-at-home mom whose child is now in kindergarten, and so I have a lot more hours to myself in my day. I'm a new mother. My baby is 15 months old, and I've recently become the sole provider financially in my household. Now, I have a 12 and a 5-year-old, so my brain fog is just now lifting. I could not function running a household and taking care of two kids and run a business. I am a woman trying to navigate all these tech guys. Uh, I'm the mom of a fourth grade aspiring professional actress. As an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, uh, but also as mom. Yeah, being responsible for other people in your life can definitely put a crimp on your professional ambitions. Catherine Zalaski is now the founder of that company, Power to Fly. But when I first met her, she and two of her male colleagues were interviewing me for a reporter job at Now This News. This was in 2012 when we were building the team really from the ground up, and we had significant funding, so we were able to hire great people like you. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, we brought you in for an interview. I got to say, the role sounded really cool. And as many of you know, I love being part of new projects. But I just couldn't see how I was going to balance what that job required with what being a mother was requiring of me. And the three executives had the same concerns. You know, I just remember thinking, you were fantastic, but the question of children came up pretty quickly. And so the question immediately was sort of like, well, she's great, but could she devote the time? I did not take the job, dear listener. Yeah, I don't know if she can give the hours right now. But to me, it was also like, Without having children yet and also being sort of terrified about this prospect of having children. I mean, I have two children now. I have a 17-month-old and a five-and-a-half-year-old. So a similar situation that you were in at the time. And now Catherine says she would have handled the situation with me differently. I think you probably could have been way more efficient than the people who we ultimately hired, who are great, some of them. But, like, a lot of it was just sitting around for long periods of time. (laughs) If I were running the, that today, I would have totally hired you in a heartbeat and been like, we'll work it out. <laughs> Yay. That's so nice to hear. Thank you for saying that. That scene and many others with different women ran through Catherine's mind when she first became a mother herself. And it was about midway through her maternity leave that an acquaintance asked Catherine out for coffee. This woman was a technologist and a mother of three named Milena Berry. Milena wanted to know if Catherine might be interested in trying to solve one particular workplace issue. Companies 
are struggling to find more women. On the flip side, women are struggling to find companies where they can belong, where they actually feel comfortable, where they think they can grow. Mm. And so wouldn't it be great if you set up a marketplace that addressed it, addressed this massive problem that affects us very personally. Mm. And Melena, you know, had three children at that point. They now have four. So then that night I went home and I got this email from her and was just like, would you would you be my co-founder? <laughs> Power to Fly is like a matchmaking marketplace where companies can connect with highly qualified women. And the company also is doing research into how the world of work is changing in a post-Me Too world. Their clients are mostly Fortune 500 companies, including Slack, Deloitte, Fidelity, WeWork, companies that know they need a more diverse workforce and have set pretty ambitious recruitment goals, but who are having trouble finding women who think those companies could be a good fit for them. Companies can buy annual subscriptions to meet their diversity, inclusion, belonging, and support goals. And through those subscriptions, we are able to um, elevate women's careers through community events, free video trainings, and deep connections to companies' hiring teams. A lot of companies are going for gender parity because they know that gender parity actually leads to a better bottom line. We're at this really interesting conversion point where people are seeing the economic imperatives of not only gender diversity, but diversity as a whole. Mm. McKinsey's done a lot of work around this. Like Gender diverse teams have 21% better returns on average. Harvard Business Review study shows that if a team has more women on it, its collective intelligence rises. There are a lot of companies now that are actually tying uh, diversity goals to executive bonuses. Oh, interesting. And so when these women get recruited or, like, you invite them to sort of a meet and greet or a get to know you, like, you guys are kind of the matchmakers, right? And, like, why wouldn't these women be excited to come and hear about these big corporations that have finally, like, woken up to the idea of getting more women on board? Well, for, I mean, there's a huge lack of trust there, first of all, right? Really? But the issue, well, yeah, because you have generations of women being told, thanks, but no thanks, or thanks, come in, but, you know, you're going to be stifled because there's really no leadership path for you here. Our biggest finding is actually that job recruiting platforms are built around male paradigms, right? And so if you look at how women react to job postings versus men, women are 16% less likely than men to apply to a job after viewing it. 60% of women said they wouldn't apply to a job if they didn't meet 100% of the skills. Now, if you ask anybody why that's the case, everybody will say, well, because women aren't as aggressive as men or they lack the confidence. Mm. But that's actually not true. When there was a follow-up study done on that, it wasn't that women lacked the confidence. It's just that women don't want to waste their time. And we see an average of a 60% lift in women's willingness to apply to a company once they're engaged through Power to Fly saying like, oh, I would never have applied to Company X before, but now that I actually got to go inside and understand them a little bit more, I'm interested in applying. Women, when they do apply to a role, they're 18% more likely to get that role than a man is huh, in a really? senior position. Yeah, because they're so sure it's a good role for them and it's a sure fit that they actually get the role. Huh. And 88% of women are actually open to new roles. So the market is massive around this. Like women will switch jobs. So yeah, we're finding a lot of things. So we work with a lot of companies, huge companies across Fortune 500 that recognize that if they're going to build diverse teams that are actually going to raise their bottom line, they have to structure the workplace differently. And so we do a, quite a bit of work around returnships. So women who are coming back after six or seven years hmm. into the workplace, they'll enter into a, a lot of them have to have be technical or have degrees, but that they get retrained for 12 weeks. 
And if they do really well in the retraining, then they apply to a job within the company and they usually have a mentor within the company and then they get hired. These companies are way more sensitive to the flexible schedules. Now, a lot of the major corporations that we work with, they actually allow people to work remotely in most cases. You know, you can always measure revenue and returns and profit margins and clicks. But now that we're moving into this world where we want to sort of measure, like, different things, like impact and and the way someone was moved by content as opposed to how many people looked at content, different metrics for success, essentially. Yeah. So obviously we like seeing women put into roles. That's one measure of success. But not all women want to switch their roles. So what I really want to see actually is women being able to raise their salaries, right? So when women have more money to spend, they actually reinvest in society at higher rates. And you actually see the global GDP could be raised significantly in the U.S. Like the economy would grow by a huge factor if you actually had a woman being paid equally to men because they would reinvest in things like healthcare, childcare, you know, more domestic spending, et cetera. While when you actually see other genders, it's more in consumptive behavior. <laughs> so one of the things we really like to see is when a woman does get hired, how much of her salary was raised? And people say, well, why would I approach a woman who already has a job? You say, well, because that woman is stuck in a job and she doesn't see herself getting a raise. But if you can actually get her to move laterally or move up a little bit at your company and she gets Mm. a pay jump, that's incredibly significant over time. Mm. But also, if you go out and you get an offer from another company, the quickest way to raise your salary is to bring that offer back to your company. And then if they want to keep you, which in most cases they do, they will match you. So you're giving them a place to do that. Exactly. We're allowing them to, we're giving them sort of a jumping off point to make it easier. Otherwise, they're by themselves. Okay, in a minute, new findings from research that Power to Fly has done about why women typically decide to leave a job and how Catherine herself, as a co-founder and a mother of two, is making it work. The role of other women, like her nanny, in building her own business. Don't go anywhere. We're back. It's Zigzag. And when I interviewed Catherine Zaleski, she was actually working from her parents' house on Long Island while her kids were at day camp. We're all set up on a ping pong table. And the freelance engineer we'd hired had set his equipment up on the ping pong table in her parents' basement. The next thing we need is for my dad to come downstairs and be like, what is going on? I sort of told him what was going on. It's like, this is what you call work? Yeah, I'm like, it's Wednesday. I'm some money here. (laughs) Flexible work, remote work. It's not just for people running their own companies. It's actually becoming more and more acceptable, even attractive to more traditional employers, Catherine says. So there's a lot of that because they realize that the time savings there are key Uh for people to, to avoid the commute, et cetera. It's also a hell of a lot better for the environment and it's ultimately cheaper to not have to pay for people to be in the office all the time. When you do hire people remotely, they actually work harder, often because they're not spending as much time commuting, they're not spending as much time going to lunch, things like that. They're actually trying to get their work done. I mean, I don't like working from home all the time. I I need to have a co-working space. I actually do need to go out there and, like, shoot the shit with people. Otherwise, I get totally burnt out. Right. So I just need the flexibility. I mean, that's the key. I need to be able to know that, you know, if I have a sick kid... I can go pick the kid up, but also, like, 
I don't need to pay for extra childcare if that kid's going to be in bed all day. Knowing that your schedule doesn't require you to be chained to this desk at this location that makes you forget that you have no other existence except for work, like that you don't have a family or anything. We're still locked into this sort of like industrial revolution concept that the boss owns your hours and owns your day. And therefore, you're basically compensating for the boss's like ridiculously large factory that has machines running in it. And the machines need to be used, otherwise the boss will lose money. We built like office cultures on these paradigms that are just so not indicative of the majority of the world and especially, you know, mothers. Like I think something like over 80% of women will become mothers in the U.S. at some point in their lives and even, you know, adopting, et cetera. And um, when I started my company, I started, was talking to these young women that sounded like me, you know, five years ago. And I would get so annoyed and I'd be like, oh my God, she's horrible. And then I'd be like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Doesn't this remind you of someone? And I'd be like, oh, wait. What would they say that would rub you the wrong way? They'd be I mean, like, I think what the, the catalyst for me was this one woman who was like, yeah, we have a great culture here. You know, we have a ping pong table. Ironically, we're doing this interview on a ping pong table, but um, way different but it's a kid friendly, kid friendly <laughs> one. Um, she's like, we have a ping pong table and we, um, we have a really great culture. We go out to drinks every night usually. And I was like, okay, well then what about, you know, letting mothers work remotely or leave for pickup if they need to, or fathers too. Fathers, don't forget about fathers here. She's like, no, no, that doesn't work with our culture. <laughs> oh, all right. And I would get that like constantly, but you know, the sad thing is, like, I don't even think she realized how obtuse she was being. Right. We're all contributing to this issue by not realizing that it's the small cuts that lead to the bigger problem down the line. And, it's a, and like, scheduling a 4.30 meeting is really fucking annoying. I'm so, oh, sorry, I cursed. But I'll give you an example of last night. My husband, who I adore, we're at family dinner, and he's been traveling like crazy. And um, so he hasn't really been around the kids all summer. And, you know, he gets a phone call in the middle of dinner and he leaves to pick it up. He's like, I got to take this phone call. It's really important. So he goes and sits on the deck and he's listening. And of course, my 17-month-old walks out after him and is like, da, 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 da. And then my five-year-old wants to play with him too. It's all in the middle of dinner and all I want to do is feed these kids. And the guy on the phone is going on and on and on. This is at 7.30 at night about how he's having like a management issue with another woman in the office. And like, can my husband get in the middle of it? And I'm just getting really angry. And because when, you know, my husband hangs up the phone, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so is really upset. And I was like, first of all, could so-and-so even ask you if it was an appropriate time to call at 7.30? Second of all, so-and-so needs to be taking his feedback directly to the woman that he's so annoyed at, because that is terrible management 101, like pathetic. And the third thing about so-and-so is there were literally children screaming dada in the background, and so-and-so for a second didn't say, is this a bad time? Yeah, seriously. And what did your husband say? He was like, well, he was really upset. And I'm like, you know what? I'm really upset because you have to create boundaries. And the boundary would have been, hey, so-and-so, why don't you text me first to ask, is it okay if I call you? And then I'll say, no, I'm in family dinner. But it's like he needs to lay those boundaries down too so that he teaches so-and-so who doesn't have kids yet that like this is the proper way of dealing with people over the age of 27. 
or 28 or when they have children. It's like— I like that you call it family dinner. Like, I like that you give it a name. Like, part of the problem to me is that we— First time in, like, weeks. Yeah, yeah, but part of the problem, I think, is that we often don't have the language. You know what I mean? Like, when you name something, like, go to drinks means something in work parlance. Maybe family dinner, it used to mean something like in the 80s, but like maybe we need to bring that back as like protected time, like name it. I want to ask you about a survey or research that your company recently did about, I think it has to do with retention, right? Why do women leave their jobs? Yeah. You know, we had women who were primarily mid-level to senior level, and um, these were women who were like product managers, project managers, analysts, uh, like more technical, but over 50% of them were ready for new opportunities. This idea that women really leave because of work-life balance, et cetera, it's not, a lot of it, it's not so much that. It's actually, they want many of the things that, that men want, but they want, what they really want is they want their contributions to be valued and they want strong leadership. So hmm. within our community, the top three reasons for wanting to leave were actually poor leadership, contributions not valued, and then the third was poor work-life balance. It was the third. Yeah, and the fourth was then no advancement opportunities. Huh, that's so interesting. So things like better childcare and benefits were not nearly as high on the list because that's sort of like a, you know, it's a period of your life that where short. You know, that affects you for it's short. Women said they'd be really likely to leave a company if they could find a place where there's more passion but also a sense of belonging. Huh. They really feel passionate about their work. Do you feel like these women, particularly the ones that have technical skills, are they very much in the driver's seat when it comes to companies making them job offers or trying to woo them in some way? Sort of. I mean, depending on the market that you're in, like San Francisco, I think the women of San Francisco are just exhausted by the wooing. <laughs> Um, they want the changes, but we do a lot of work out there, and it's like a very different response than you get in Nashville, where we do a lot of work, or Austin, which Austin's a very hot market. But you know, North Carolina or Nashville or you know Toronto, you get people being like, "Thank you for bringing us together. That was great. I'm so happy to come to this event." We try to do events more that are focused on on people actually learning about what a different company's building and less on the recruiting side because the recruiting uh-huh. side is just so intense and aggressive. And these interview rounds out in the Valley in particular are like three days long and they require you to take time off work and do tests. And that's why women like are like, I can't apply for this. Like, who's going who's gonna to pick the kid up from school? <laughs> and then part of the problem is if your husband's making, you know, 2X as you are because of, you know, gender pay gap, then you're like, well, I can't ask him to take time off of work. Because if he loses his job, then we're really screwed. So all these different inequities come into play. It usually falls on the mother mm. to stay at home because she's making less money. And therefore, she, her job can be sacrificed. And so it just like creates this compounding problem that you know we're like, oh, how do we get into this mess in the first place? Well, it's the little things. It's the 4.30 meetings. After a while, you're like, I can't do another 4.30 meeting. Therefore, like, I'm not going to survive in this job. So if you're going to create a path forward as well, you have to be sensitive to these other needs. It's also women that can make the workplace very hard for women because we're trained throughout life to think that you need to be in an office chair 10 hours a day. Mm. So you start, you know, you look at, you sort of, you, you look at if someone has a wedding ring and think like, oh, could she be here 10 hours a day? Oh, does she have children? And build these workplaces based on these um, very sexist premises. I do want to ask you about the relationship that many of these high-powered, very educated women have 
the other woman in their life, which is usually the nanny, the babysitter, the caretaker person who they rely on. How does that fit into the conversation you're having with these career-driven women? Like, I don't know about anybody else, but, like, I feel super conflicted about it. Like, on the one hand, you know, you're handing over the most precious people in your life to someone who uh, is not making as much money. It's just, it feels like a minefield, and I just want to do right by the people who help my husband and I make our life work, and I wonder what you're hearing. I know. I, uh, it's like I think about it all the time. Well, there was a period where my nanny was definitely making more money than me, <laughs> but but it was an investment. I always thought of it as like this investment in my future career. This is a woman who literally the day my son was born, you know, was in the hospital holding him. And so to me, there's this great security in knowing that there's someone there who deeply, who knows them from day one. She just did go back to the Philippines for the last five weeks. She's coming back on Monday and like, you know, we're counting down the minutes. <laughs> but it is something that I, I and, and actually the last month has been interesting because I've, I've put together this sort of like mix of, of people. And I think we've, we've had like four different people taking care of the kids who are all, you know, wonderful people, but it's been a real mix for them as well. And I mean, I, I, the question is like, do right by them. I, I think if you're going to be hiring someone full time to take care of your kids, you got to treat them as you would. You know, it's it's tricky because they're also part of the family; they're with you all the time. But everything from employment contracts to full salary to very clear vacation situations as well, because ultimately, you know, it is still a job for them. And so, I think people get into hot water because they personalize it a little too much, and it's so tricky on that front. But uh, I don't know. It's a tough one. But then again, like I'm beyond grateful to Esther for allowing me to, for being so wonderful that I'm able to build my career and my life. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, but yeah, but then it's also an incredible privilege. I mean, I always say that like, if I were to become a billionaire, I'd, I'd set up like a baby nurse fund for, for women or, you know, just a nanny fund and... Power to fly, baby. Power to fly. Fly up. Fly up with more cash. Cash money. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, thank you. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for, um, yeah, making me feel like a rock star. That was Catherine Zulaski. I think she's pretty awesome. I also think the woman sitting with me in here... <laughs> Uh, it's pretty awesome, too. It's my co-founder, Jen Poyant. Hello, Jen. Hello, Manoush. So as we do, typically, at the end of every episode, we provide analysis. And I got to say, I am particularly interested to hear your analysis of what happened to me when uh, I went to apply for that job. And um, I was like, oh, no, I have ovaries. I can't do this job. Ah! Like, <laughs> did that sound familiar? Well, I stupidly, when I was young and having my first kid or my only kid, just assumed that I could do it. Like, I didn't have any, I, I was just very naive, I guess. Yeah. Just, I, it just really hit me over the head was how much I identified with both, both women archetypes, basically. Oh, you mean the woman who was like, oh my God, she's got two kids at home. There's no way she can do this job. I roll. 
And being the woman who's like, shit, I've got two kids at home. There's no way I can do this job. Yeah. Yup. Can we just say it? Both have a point. No, I disagree. <gasps> okay. Go ahead. I mean, I think Catherine Zaleski's point is that the way the system is designed, because there's no flexibility and because a lot of those systems are set up by men who understandably can't have can't fathom what it's like. Right. To be clear, though, I do think that there are jobs that when I was in the midst of having like two really little kids, I would not have been able to handle. And I know that there are some women who can, but I had a colicky baby. uh, My body hurt. I I don't want to whitewash what it's like to be postpartum. I I don't either. And I mean, I, I went through postpartum depression and I definitely worked was one of those young freelancers trying to secure a full-time job and working 12 to 15 hours a day and was ready to fight it out. And certainly you have advantages when you don't have a kid to be able to do that, to dedicate that time. But Wait, can I just flag something? You just said fight it out. What did you mean by that? It's competitive, right? Like all job markets are competitive. And particularly if you're in any kind of professional situation where highly skilled people are looking to get that job that's mm. both prestigious and intellectually fulfilling and creative, mm. and you have to compete for those jobs. Yeah. And so any advantage makes a huge difference. And so if you can work 12 to 15 hours a day, which I did for years, then you're going to prove yourself and you're going to improve your skills leaps and bounds. So once you have that kid mm. or those kids, yeah, it definitely takes away the amount of time that you can dedicate. However— you also gain other skills and other life skills when you right. have a kid. And there's got to be some way to create workplaces that can account for that. I don't know exactly what the answer is, though. I mean, she's trying. Yeah, she's trying. I mean, I, this is where I do think we have to thank technology. I remember when I first got a smartphone how amazing it was that I could pretend to be in an office but take a call from the playground. Yeah. That was revelatory to yeah. me. <laughs> so, like, all this remote stuff, like, no. thank you, technology, for making it possible. Working remotely is ma- it's a massive improvement in my life as a mother. Now, what did you think about some of the research that Catherine shared about specific—there was one in particular that I wanted to ask you about. The one—oh, the confidence issue— Did you think that that was the case? I mean, we hear so much about women don't have confidence. They're not built up to have confidence. There's actually a friend of mine wrote a book called The Confidence Code for Women or Mm -hmm. Girls or whatever. But she's saying, no, it's not because they're not confident in what they can do. It's because they're like, the structures, the systems are set up, so I'm not going to be able to do this job. So why bother applying? Yeah, she. I mean, she also mentioned, like, they're not going to waste their time applying for jobs that aren't a good fit, like you said, that don't support the lifestyle that they need to be able to do their job well. I will say, though, I feel like I'm an accomplished professional, and but I had to go I had to go through therapy to learn how to be confident in an office that was stacked against women, to be frank. So I did have confidence issues that I had to work out. However, I worked them out by applying for promotions over and over and over again mm-hmm. and fighting my way to get those promotions and you know, learning that my skill sets were valuable. I got confidence in a different way. <laughs> I lost a filter after I had kids mm-hmm. where I stopped giving a shit yeah. what people thought of me that for a while. To me too. 
That's then, real. It's really weird how it's very empowering, actually. And so then I started doing things that I never would have done because I would have been too fearful previously. And like my career started to soar. The same exact thing happened. Which gave me confidence. <laughs> totally. Can I ask you a question? Oh, well, sure. <laughs> You're I, God, yes. Well, I just think it's so interesting that Catherine, uh, you know, apologized to you, right? Well, she didn't, right? Because I didn't know her after she interviewed me. So when the op-ed came out, I was like, oh, that was me. That was me. Exactly. I was like, she's talking to me. I felt like that was really weird. I and was she like, was, right? And she was. She really was. <laughs> yes. Like you weren't, that wasn't your imagination. No, because then was, I yeah. ran into her when we joined the co-working space. I was like, that woman looks so familiar to me. I don't know why I know her. And... It took like, I don't know, six to eight months before we finally spoke to each other. And we were both like, are you? Are you? Oh, yeah. Hey, what are you doing now? What are you doing? And I asked her, I was like, so you wrote this op-ed that I remember. And she's like, oh, yeah, the viral one. I was like, uh-huh. I was like, I don't know if you remember this incident. She's like, oh, you mean was I writing it to you? She's like, oh, yeah, definitely. And that, that must have been so weird. It was super weird. Talk about like closure, though, huh? She's now a friend. Yeah. So I want to ask you, do you have anybody to apologize to? Because I feel like I do. <sighs> I'm sure I can't possibly think of all the people that I have to apologize to in my life. No, I mean in particular for this. <laughs> well, it's more like— Like the big eye roll when somebody's trying to get out I the mean, door to, to I for I was a the youngest producer in the BBC's Washington Bureau, and I was female. And where did I see my in? It was the moment that the— more established producers, who were also all female, I should add, would leave to go pick up their kids. That was my end. I had less experience, but I could work my butt off right. anytime you needed me to. So I'd be like, I guess they're not that committed. I am. Right. And I was rewarded for that immensely. Do I need to apologize for that? I don't think so. I mean, I babysat for those women on the weekend. You did? Yeah. Whoa. I needed the money. That's crazy. I mean, they loved me because I, I mean, there was a two-way street here. They could also be like, listen, I got to go. Can you do this? You follow up with that when they would leave. Right. There was kind of like a... Camaraderie almost? Yeah. That's cool. There was. There was not in my situation, but I think maybe it was just the like particular culture of the office that I was in. Like it was, we were all, all the women were set up to compete and fight against each other. I mean, that's just gross. Yep. I want to end with our call out being to the caretakers out there. And it doesn't have to be just moms. Certainly doesn't have to be just for kids. Because, like, I've been thinking about the, you know, the sandwich generation thing, like having older parents because I'm getting into that phase. Wanting to make sure you're there for your parents as they get older and deal with health issues um, in addition to dealing with maybe kids or siblings or friends mm -hmm. who, you know, very often friends or family these days, tell us how either someone did or did not make a concession to your caretaking duties at work. I want to know how bad it's gotten for some people. Yeah. But also, like, if somebody was like, oh, no, actually, something really great happened in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Does that seem, is that a good call out? Absolutely. Okay. I think it's going to, I think what we're looking for is a signal to whether or not a culture where, work culture where people are supportive of caretakers is 
growing or I mean, whether it's possible is aging rapidly like those are where the jobs are going to be in the future too anyway email us at zigzag at stable anything else you want to say before we go can I just say something that I found entertaining today? Yes. So Marissa Meyer, who was, when she became CEO of Yahoo. Uh, oh, I know what you're going to you say. You know what I'm going to say. She, yeah. what was this, like, I don't know, five, ten years, I don't even know how many years ago. She, like, she said, all the employees of Yahoo who are working remotely or who have flexible hours now must be in a Yahoo office during regular business hours. Didn't she do this right after she had her kids? I can't remember if it was right after she had like or before. I think it was she after had twins. She had, she had like a nursery in her office. Yes, and a baby nurse like on duty. Well, today I got an invitation to the new, the next Techonomy conference, which is happening in November, and she is speaking. And her startup is something to do with inclusion. So, just thought that was interesting. We got to get her on the show. Got to get her on the show. See if she's had a change of heart or if this is just pink washing. I'm very, very curious. Should we go? Yeah. Okay. So if you've got a story for us, caretaking, taken into consideration in a good way, in a bad way, we want to know, record a voice memo or email us at zigzag at stable G. That is zigzag at stable G.com. Um, I hope you're signed up for our newsletter that I send out every other Thursday because, man, I know there's a lot of information out there, but we try to condense it, make it extremely efficient and useful to you every other Thursday. You can sign up on our website at StableG.com. This episode was produced by me and Jen Poyant. Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio is our engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Many thanks to Anya Zhezik for her audio engineering, too. The Stable Genius team includes Maria Wartell and Marcy Thompson. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Should I face you? Does it matter? I don't think it matters. I always prefer like like we're sitting in like a bus depot <laughs> waiting for a bus. Just kind of like waiting for Godot in here. <laughs> PRX.